Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this opportunity just to put ourselves at your feet and to learn from you and to to hear from, from you about yourself, Lord. And I pray that you would make this time uh, instrumental in our lives, Lord, that you would bring your word to remembrance to us by your spirit, Lord, as we study it, we oftentimes forget uh, immediately uh, upon hearing it. But, Lord, you have the ability to bring it back to us at the right time. And I pray that you would do that this morning and um, just that we would be blessed from hearing your word and, and that our lives would be changed by it. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're in the middle of uh, this series. Um, if you noticed last week, we kind of split off from that. We didn't, I didn't big deal the series because I got halfway through studying it and I was like, this isn't going to work for kids and all that stuff. So um, I think it worked a lot better considering. <laughs> um, but we started with, we started this series and, and we're kind of doing the, the, the highlights of the larger study that I've done before called the story of God. And it, and it just, it is the highlights of the whole Bible, kind of the overarching plan of God through history. And um, so we started by talking about creation and what things that we learn about God through creation. Um, the way he created, what he created, how he did it. And I guess that's the way he created. But what he created, how he did it, and what he said about his creation and, and, and what things we can learn about that. And so we talked about... Um, how God is, the, the methodology that he created by was he created the world in coldness, darkness, and chaos, and then systematically changed it and moved it forward and made it what he wanted it to be. And we know, like, because we're cheating and skipping around, we're not just, like, being blind to the rest of the Bible. We know that this entire earth, God is going to do better than. His plan is to burn up every element that is here. And his plan is to jettison this earth as it is. Take us with him to a new place, a new heavens and a new earth. He's planning to do the same thing with our bodies. You know that, right? This body is going away and we receive. And his plan is to give us a new body in heaven in the new earth that he's, in the new heaven and new earth that he's got planned for us. And so that those, things, those things are things we know about God. But we, we see that even at the beginning, that God isn't, He's happy with his creation, but he's not done with it, right? And then we come into the picture, and we very prematurely decide as humans that we're done, and we're good, and we're all there and complete. And the immediate response of Adam and Eve having their eyes opened was to go, oh, I'm naked. <laughs> Oops, I'm not nearly complete. I'm not, I'm not even close to being uh, like God in the sense that I thought I would be if I just had this knowledge of good and evil. And so um, it's kind of been a downhill trend from there, the realization of how the depravity of mankind, right? Because depravity is like the opposite of righteousness or holiness. And now at this point in history, we can recognize that we are nothing like God in, in, in so many ways. And so um, that's been kind of ongoing since then. And then the next week we spent, we talked about uh, the problem of sin. And then we talked about um, what, it, what, it, what changed when we recognized how far short we're fallen from God. And how far off course that we are. And um, the biggest revelation of that was the law. God gave his people the law. And he said, this is how far you are from me. 
and this is how unlike me you are. Here's, he just spoke to them ten commandments. And in speaking to them ten commandments, they were horrified and said, God, that's, I, I know you've told us to move away from Mount Sinai. And because remember, he separated them from Mount Sinai. He said, go away. And then he thunders at them the ten commandments because he knew that they were already breaking them. And he thunders at them the Ten Commandments, and they go, we weren't far enough away. We thought we were really far, but it wasn't far enough. And they remove themselves even farther from, and, and then the, the, the actually the, the result of them getting the law in totality is that they rebel against God during those 40 days that Moses is up on the mountain. Because after they hear from God, they're like, you know what, Moses? Don't have God say anything more to us. Why don't you go listen to what he has to say, write it down, and bring us the cliff notes. That's what they said. They, they don't want to hear from God directly. They weren't far. They needed a buffer. And so they sent Moses up on the mountain. He was up there for 40 days. While he was up there, they made the golden calf, right? And they created for themselves a version of God. They said, this is the Lord. And they used the same, this is the Lord. And they, they called this golden calf the Lord because they would rather worship a deaf and dumb idol because he's not nearly as scary as a god who's burning the top of a mountain and shouting commands at you. And so they were like, let's worship this. And, and you know what happened. Moses came down the mountain. He, broke the t- he brought them the cliff notes, the, t- the, the commandments written on literally pieces of cliff. And uh, <laughs> I, that, was, that just happened. It wasn't on, I don't, that's not in my notes. That's a freebie. So <laughs> he brought them the cliff notes. And, and there he is. And he's brought them the law, the rest of the law. And he throws it down and breaks it. But he also breaks that calf because they're, once that veil has been lifted and they recognize who God is and they have been given the law, you can't go back to saying, no, actually, I prefer a God that's like this golden calf that doesn't shout at me. And it just kind of sits there and I can bow down. To, it's shiny and I like that. But the rest of it's pretty mundane. They would, it was a more comfortable version of God that they had created. And they could, you know, by the way, also fornicate and do all this other crazy stuff and make up their own system of worship. And God says, no, that's not what you came here to do. Remember that Moses told Pharaoh, when we, we don't even know how to worship this God. He's going to tell us how to worship him when we get there. And they were like, uh, worship of God is too complicated, too hard, and too scary for us. We're going to make up our own version of worship that's much more fun, namely... Uh, you know, this big, messy party with sexual connotations and all that. That was their version of what they thought would be fun to how to worship God. He He destroys this version of himself. He makes them drink it. Many of them die. But what happens is that up until this point, God has been in their camp with them. His promise was to go up with them in the camp. And at this time, God, take, God says, okay, take the tabernacle of meeting, and I want you to put it outside the camp. And up until that time, which was a really short period of time, by the way, the, the, the plan was that if someone broke the laws of God, they would be put out of the camp because God's presence was in the camp. But since they all broke the law of God, as in every one of them, God said, every, basically, everybody has to leave the camp. I'm going to be here, and you guys go over here. I can't dwell in the midst of you because if I dwell in the midst of you, fire, I will go out from, fire will go out from me and I'll wipe you out. Because if I'm in the presence of evil, I will judge it. Okay? And so it starts to be a bigger, bigger deal that God said through Isaiah the prophet that the virgin would conceive and that 
she would give birth to a son and they would call him Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus would walk in and amongst people who were just as sinful as the people that were there at Mount Sinai and he wouldn't kill them. That when he came, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but rather that through me the world might be saved. And so that's what we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, of course, it was appropriate, but this week I want to kind of revisit that. Um, look at John chapter 3. So you see the problem of sin. God can't dwell with sin. He judges sin when he's in the presence of it. Um, and the people are, are, with this new recognition with the law, we're under this great burden of knowing that we're not anything like God. And we have to be separate from him. And so it's kind of convenient, isn't it? We skipped like, like 1,500 years of world history between when the law was given and Jesus came. And we just like, yeah, that's a bummer. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. It's really nice for us to be able to do that, isn't it? <laughs> Not really fair, but it's nice to be able to just say, okay, yeah, all the kings and all, you know, them getting taken to Babylon and all that stuff. We're just going to, let's talk about what God did about it. Um, John chapter 3. And you guys know this passage. Many of you do. Uh, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, one of the people who was supposed to be a teacher of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night and he asked him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can see, do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, of course, asks him, well, how can a man be born again? If he's old, does he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And he has, they have this whole conversation about how, no, what needs to happen is a spiritual life needs to be born into you. What you. The life that you have in your flesh is corrupted by sin, and you need a new life that's from God that is uncorrupted by sin to be given to you, to be breathed into you. And we have already talked about that. We talked about that, I think, last week. We also talked about that when God created Adam, what, what the, 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 method, that, the methodology that he used is he created Adam. And then as a second act, he breathed into him the, his, his spirit. And he became a living being. It wasn't that he just was a living being and he was alive the whole time while he was being built. You know, just like, like uh, never mind, this is a Star Wars Star Wars illustration, but you don't really want to know it. Uh, <laughs> but, but it wasn't like, you know, God was attaching an arm and I was like, oh, hey, sweet. You know, like, thanks. Oh, look, I got my other arm. Oh, look at me. I don't have any legs yet. God built the complete man. All the pieces, parts were there. And yet he wasn't alive. And God breathed his spirit into him and he became a living being. And here, God is saying the same kind of thing needs to happen to us. All the pieces, parts are here. We need to have into us born a new, different kind of life uh, born into us that's a gift from God. And then it says here, um, verse 16, this is the part everybody knows, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him... Uh, the world through him might be saved. 
He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so what happens here is there's no question about whether our deeds are evil. There's no question about whether we need the salvation. The only question is whether we love the light or love the darkness. And, and isn't that, remember, that this right where we started. First thing God did was discriminate between light and darkness. He created a distinction. There was darkness. God created the world. And what does it say? He said, let there be light. It was a cold, dead, chaotic world. And he said, let there be light. And we love darkness rather than light. We love, we love bef- bef- like the way we are rather than the way God wants us to be. And he says, men, of course, our deeds are evil. You understand, that's, if that's the definition of evil, if, if this is good and behind us is evil, if God makes light and he creates something new, and man says of himself, I am good enough, and God says, I want to take you to this next, I want to take you here, you're not good enough. And men love themselves the way they are, then they love evil instead of light. They love darkness rather than light. And the two things are synonymous in that sense. That I want to be who I am right now. I don't want what God has for me. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, what I came to offer you is something that you don't have. Something about you that you aren't right now. You aren't holy. You're evil. And since God has come up with something more for us, it's evil for us to want to stay the way that we are. And so Jesus says this, we're already condemned, we're already behind, we're already not what God wants. And if he wants us to be born again, and we refuse that, we're already condemned. We're already obsolete in that sense. And so, I mean, that's, that's like putting it really mildly, right? Because that's just, if, if, if there weren't any transgressions and there weren't any yucky things and and really horribly evil thoughts in our lives and in our hearts, right? But we know there are. I mean, that's like the bare bones. We're not talking about any specifics. We're just saying, in generalities, God wants to move you forward and you want to stay behind, that's evil. And that's putting it really mildly, but that's at least really bad to want to stay. I am good the way that I am. I don't need changed. That's, that's rebelling against God. And he says, right here, he says, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And we like the way we're doing it now and we don't want to change. And so, um, the problem that Jesus came to address is really obvious. It's sin. It's, it's that falling short of the glory of God. Jesus came to address that. He tells Nicodemus, this is how I want to address it. But the, the build-up to that is really apparent. Look at John chapter 8. And there's many examples of this. This is one of my favorite because it's very succinct. Um, but here's Emmanuel, God who is with us. And people, this was blowing people's minds because they're, they're saying, okay, if you're the Messiah and if you're God who is with us, we remember that back in the wilderness, you said we have to put the 
the tabernacle outside of the camp because if you're with us and among us, you will kill us. If we see the face of God, we'll die. So if we're seeing your face, we've got a problem with that. And in their minds, it was either you're not God or we're not sinful. And Jesus says, it's, it's none of those things. You are sinful. I am God. And death must take place in order to rectify our relationship, to, re- to reconcile our relationship. But look at John chapter 8. It says, uh, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That was like the last part of chapter 7, so just ignore that part. You don't have to ignore it, but pay attention to it when you read chapter 7. Um, <laughs> and it says, now early in the morning, he came to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now listen to this. Now Moses in the law commanded that such a one should be toned. Stoned, not toned, that's buff. Stoned is different. Uh, did Moses, were they correct? Did Moses command that? Now Moses brought them the cliff notes of God who commanded that. And they said, we don't want to hear God's voice anymore. Could you just please bring us the written thing? And, 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 and what were they doing in particular when Moses came down the hill with the hill is a mountain. But when he came down the hill with, with the law, they were committing adultery and fornication and sexual sin. And so this is just kind of funny to me. Like these are the grandkids of these people who were like Moses commanded us. And Moses really didn't have much to do with it. It was God. And so what they're really saying is, if you're really the son of God, how can you tolerate the kind of stuff that goes on? How can you handle it not to condemn this woman? And so they, they think they're putting the pinch on him. They think they're pitting him against Moses. And Moses just it's kind of popped out the side because Moses isn't important. What the real question is, if God says this needs to be condemned and you have, must kill this woman because of her adultery, what do you say if you're God? And that's the real question here. So look at what happens. Now Moses in the law commanded us. That's just, this is just the, the frosting that they're putting on it because that's the way they look at it. Now Moses in the law commanded that such a one ought to be stoned, but what do you say as if, it's either, you, you know, God or you. You know, God says this. What do you say? He's like, well, you, you mean what did I say? Because he's the word. He's the one who gave them the commandments to Moses from the mountain. It was, it was Jesus. So, like, it's like they're just quoting him from a previous encounter with God. And they don't realize it. But Jesus isn't thrown by that, and we shouldn't be either. This they said, testing them, that they might have something to accuse him by. They really don't care about the lady. They're actually asking about him. And Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. Now, this, this I think, is interesting. And, and I, I, I think it happens way too often. We try to figure out what Jesus was writing. But what he was writing is the least important thing. The thing that's important is written down here for us. It says he wrote, and it tells us the manner in which he wrote, 
was that it was as if he didn't hear because he had already spoken about this woman. He had already said what should be done about this woman. He had already commanded them and it didn't need repeating. And so he stooped down and wrote on the ground as if he didn't hear because they're, they're asking, do you... Do you say this? And then do, who, what do you say? And they don't realize they're already talking to the author of the one who said it in the first place. And so what they're saying is, uh, God said this, what do you say? And he's like, you're asking the wrong question. I am the guy that said that. So you know what I said. I already told you who I am. So you already know what I said. I said that you should stone this. And they're asking him if he would stone this person, but he already delegated it to them. He said, you stone her. God didn't say if someone commits adultery, they're just going to go in the bed. You know, it would prevent a lot of adultery. If God just was like from heaven was like, ah, you shouldn't have done that. You know, there'd be just like smoke clouds going up around Walla Walla all the time. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you really shouldn't. I know she's pretty. Don't. Because God will just, you know. He gave that job to them. Do you realize the curse that that is? The curse that it is with us, with lustful, adulterous hearts, what it would be like to go and kill Someone who had done something that you would have done if you thought you could get her to talk her into it. With your heart the way it is. Because I, I, I'm looking around, I'm like, there isn't anybody here that doesn't have a sinful heart. That hasn't had those kind of thoughts. And if we were required to stone such a one, do you think you wouldn't have some serious need of counseling after having done that? Yeah, I killed this lady for doing something that I've thought about doing many times. That would be tough. I killed my buddy, who's my best friend. I had to partake in killing him, even though we talked about that girl all the time. And he went through with it, and I didn't get the chance. And he got caught doing it. And so I had to partake in killing him. You realize the curse of the law was not only to the people who were partaking in the sin, but it was also the people that had to partake in the punishment. And Jesus is rolling that back. And he's saying, I'm God, and I'm among you, and this is going to change. And so look at what happens. When they continued asking him, because they obviously didn't get his point, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is, is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. And this you have to read carefully. Does he say she shouldn't be stoned? No. Absolutely he condemns her to death. Because that's what he said. God's word never changes. It is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. A woman caught in adultery, who is a Jewish woman in Israel, ought to be stoned by the men of Israel. But what he does is he lets them off on carrying out the sentence upon her. He says... You who are without sin, let him cast the first stone. And so, then he bent down and wrote on the ground again. And again, why aren't we told what he wrote on the ground? Because it's not the point. 
If it was the point, we would know it. It's just like when God says there was silence in heaven for half an hour and people lose their minds and write books about what, what happened during the silence in heaven for half an hour. What was said? Or that the, the trumpet, the, the voice of God spoke and God said, don't write that down because I don't want you guys to know that. And people write another book about what God said that was blotted out that God didn't want us to hear. Because, you know, people are curious and they like to make stuff up. Well, people like to make up what God wrote here. And there are great ideas. I'm not saying there aren't great ideas. And I'm not saying that, that maybe he wasn't writing something intelligible. But I do know that that's not the point. Because w- John would have given it, the, given it to us. <coughs> but this is what happened. What convicted them? Was it what he was writing on the ground? No, it was their conscience convicted them because they realized, I don't want to kill this lady. I don't want to do this. And it was because of the, their own sin in their own heart that they were like, you know what? I would rather be out of the picture. I would rather not be a part of the punishment or the paying for of sin. I would rather sidestep this issue. And so one by one, her accusers left. Now, you, we picture Jesus and the woman standing alone. That's not the case. Jesus, the woman... And there's a, still a multitude around. The accusers, the ones who had seen him and came to Jesus with her, they left. Not everybody left. There's still an audience here. It's not just Jesus and a lady standing there alone with nobody else there. The disciples are still there. There's still a multitude of people. It's right in the temple courts, right? Um, and so <clears throat> they were convicted by their conscience. And one by one, beginning from the oldest even to the last. Now I think about the oldest they probably had participated in this kind of thing before. And they were like, thank goodness, I'll save so much money on counseling. I don't have to go through with it this time. You know, like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I, I understand that I would rather not carry out this sentence. And so they leave. And then the youngest, who's like, boy, I've always... You know, that is kind of messed up. I, <laughs> you know, I gotta go. Because they're recognizing that sin in themselves. That they are just as guilty before God, and they are next. We, the measure you use will be measured back to you, heaped over and overflowing. And so, the woman was left there alone with Jesus. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, and he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them. That's why I know there were other people there still, right? He spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you see Jesus' invitation? Come out into the light. You aren't who you're supposed to be, but I'm not going to kill you for it. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to change you. I'm not going to unmake you. I'm going to remake you. I'm going to, to allow you to be born again instead of destroyed. Because he hadn't met anybody that didn't need this. This was just another woman who needed forgiveness. Another woman who needed to be born again. There wasn't anybody present, whether they were the accusers who left and slunk back into the darkness and the shadows, by the way, whether they were the accusers or the disciples next to him, or Nicodemus who was kind of, you know, pretending not to listen, 
because of the fear of the Jews or, or anybody there. Jesus hadn't met anybody who hadn't, wasn't deserving of death. And so he let this woman off and we lose our minds. You know, like, wow, Jesus is so forgiving. You realize he'd forgiven everyone he'd laid eyes on so far and hadn't judged them the way that he hadn't judged this lady? Every one of them deserved death. Every one of us deserves death because we're in God's presence and we are short of his glory. We are short of who we're supposed to be. And so he lets her off. And the big question that hangs over that is, here's Jesus, and he is a Jewish man, and he pronounced sentence on this lady. Whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he's heard the witnesses, she was caught in the very act, and he is the guy he was talking about. And he withholds judgment. And before we trip out on that too long... um, Turn to Romans chapter 3, and there I think that we have the answer to why Jesus allowed this to happen, why he was allowed to let this woman go, not to mention her, but all of the rest of the people he'd met. And when he meets us, he's allowed to uh, overlook our sin while he draws us to himself. So... We were talking about the law, right? Moses said in the law, although it wasn't Moses, it was God. Moses said in the law, you got to kill this woman, right? So we were talking about the law. Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Now the law, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Who walked away guilty and yet somehow let off that day? Everyone whose conscience was convicted, who Jesus pointed out, the woman who was naked and caught in adultery, the guy who, <laughs> nobody knows where he was, right? Maybe he was around somewhere. The accusers and all the audience were all let off. Did anybody have anything more to say to him at that point? No. Did anybody argue with Jesus about that? No, they're all like, we'll just, you know, back off a little bit. So it says this. This is what we just saw take place in a story. Here it says, just in plain speech. Now, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, we know the righteousness of God apart from... or But now, I'm sorry... The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. So this is what Jesus came to do. It's what he told Nicodemus. I have come to bring you to rightness. I've come to bring you to correctness or to righteousness, to being the person that God wanted you to be. And in order to do that, you must be born again. For that to happen, you have to be born again. That's what he told Nicodemus. And he says here, it's described this way. He says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law, is revealed. That means that we didn't, we didn't shine a light on our lives through the law and say, ah, look, I'm the, the lone example of a perfect human. God created Adam, and Adam wasn't perfect, but, you know, over many years in evolutionary process, look at me. I'm, I'm the only one, the, the, you know, hit me with a law, go for it. Yep, 
hit it. No, the law was shined upon us that we would be shown up as guilty. What God came to do was separate and apart from that, he was planning on giving us the person that we needed to be. Handing it to us. Just like he handed Adam his life. He didn't say, move it or lose it, buddy. You know, come on. He breathed on him, his spirit, and he became a living being. He does that to his disciples after the resurrection. We talked about that last week, right? He breathed on them and gave them his spirit. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so that's what's going on here. So he says, now the righteousness of God apart from the law. That means Jesus was there to do something aside from the law. That's why Jesus had the opportunity and took the opportunity to sidestep stoning this girl. It's revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified. And this is my understanding. I don't know if it's going to be helpful for you or not. But the word justification. It's, people like to say, well, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Well, maybe. But justified means that you're able to prove your rightness. It means that you're able to, that you are in line. So, so we, we can't be as if we'd never sinned. We can be treated as if we'd never sinned, but we can't be as if we'd never sinned. We are justified when we're brought into alignment with God's ideal for us. When we are made what we are supposed to be. So God says, hey, guess what, guys? I wasn't done with you, and you're not who I think you should be. Let me show you what that looks like. And he shines the law on us. And we go, oh, yes, by all means, we are not who we ought to be. And he says, I want to justify you. I am going to bring you into the state of being that I want you to be in. I'm going to breathe a new life into you and make you who you ought to be. And he says, this is how it happens. You are justified. So for me... My understanding of justified is a lot more to do with uh, word processor than it does to do with uh, clever word play. When I write justify something, every line starts right over here on the right side, right? Center justify, every line is centered. Left justify, or I did that backwards. Uh, anyway, I know my right from my left, it's just not when I'm talking to you. So, so I'm, I'm brought into alignment with who I am supposed to be. This is, this is who God created me to be, and God takes responsibility of justifying me. Now, Eve thought she was justifying herself. She thought that she would be justified. When she had her eyes opened to the knowledge of good and evil, she would go before God and say, look at me. I am just like you. I am Elohim, like you are. And what happened when her eyes were opened was the exact opposite. She went, oh dear, I'm naked. Right? That's what the law did for, for us. Instead of justifying us, it condemned us. And so, it says, uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth. And this is the part that answers the question about what does He do? How can God be with us? How can He invite us out into the light without killing us? God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood or a full payment by his blood through faith 
to demonstrate his righteousness. So he's not demonstrating our righteousness at this point. He's demonstrating his righteousness because it, it asks the question, when he lets this woman go, does God care about sin? Doesn't he care that this woman did this to her husband? Doesn't he care that she did this to the, the community that she lives in, that she did this to her children, that she abandoned them and was sleeping with this other guy and was leaving him? Doesn't he care about sin? Is he just winking at sin? And what's happening here is God's righteousness is being. We're seeing not our righteousness at the cross. We're seeing God's righteousness, that he does care about sin, that he will deal with it. And that's what he says here. Um, it demonstrates at the present time his righteousness. And I love this part, that he might be just. He doesn't come over to where we are and say that we're okay. He doesn't just come over to us and say, ah, you know what, you're kind of screw-ups. But, you know, I made you and I like you and I'm just going to take you. The, I love you the way you are. Do you understand that that's not what he does? He does love us the way we are. But he is just. He is where he is supposed to be. And he pulls us to himself and he justifies us. So he doesn't just join us in the fracas. Or fracas? Or fracas. <laughs> he doesn't just join us at the bottom of the mountain in the, in the melee of all of the craziness that's going on. And say, you know what, guys? That was a little intense. You're right. I don't, I don't, really, I don't really need to wipe you out. He says, no, that's sin. I'm going to wipe it out. But he comes at this present time and he says, hey, you're over here and I'm over here. And he doesn't just, you know, toddle over to us and be like, and we're all good. He says, why don't you come out of the darkness and into the light and I'll justify you. And he buys us away from our sin and away from all that stuff. And he brings us into a justified state. And so <clears throat> he is just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's just. They brought, him, they brought this woman to Jesus to be judged. And he justly judged her. He said she needs to die. And then he commuted her sentence. And he let her go. And it says he did that because it was in his forbearance that he had passed over. See, he just, he just always has held this right. Ever since the nation of Israel was born... They were born on the night that he passed over them and, and killed others instead of them. That was their, his, the whole basis for their relationship with God was not the law, it was the Passover, that he passed over their sins and, and in his forbearance didn't wipe them out. It was the entire basis of their relationship. And they became to know it more and more clearly. And David says that. He's like, don't remember me according to my sin. Remember me according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Because otherwise I would be wiped out. Would you please pass over me just one more time? But at this present time, he doesn't pass over sin anymore. He passes through the judgment of sin. And he passes through the cross. And he's just. His justice is seen in the cross. That he would do that. And so... Um, You go, go to 1 John 1, 8, through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. So this, I think it's great, because John wrote what, wrote, what, what, what Paul wrote is really great. I love, the, I love 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, because it's such a great passage, because... He's the guy that wrote John. 
And so all this stuff that you're like, whoa, this is so cool. And John, he like writes his own commentary on his own gospel. And I, I really like that because it's kind of, I don't know. He's just like, let me explain what I was trying to say when I wrote the gospel. So he says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive God, we trick him and we get to go to heaven anyway. No, he doesn't say that. He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, by contrast, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not that we don't have some. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And you see that character of God where he makes his people and then he washes them and he makes for himself a bride. He's, it's a progressive thing. He says, yeah, you're the way you are. That's fine. I'm not done with you. I can fix that. And he does. And he wins our affection by making us recognize that the direction he wants to go is the way we want to go. And so it says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And, and, and there's a lot of forbearance in forgiveness, isn't there? Up until the cross, God in forbearance forgave us of our sins. Up and after the cross, in remembrance, he forgives us our sins. In recollection of the cross, that's why we partake in communion. Because he says we remember like he remembers the cross. And because of that, we have relationship with him. Not because of Passover any longer. It was not passing over sin. He passed through it and through the cross. And so, he's forgiven us our sins. But he's not just forgiven our sins like he did that lady and said, Good, you're forgiven Go and sin no more. Right. Like she's not going to sin again. Right? She's going to. He doesn't just go on, have a good time. It says he does something further than that. He cleanses us from our unrighteousness. He actually fixes us. He actually continues that work that he started. <coughs> he cleanses us from righteousness. And then he says, just wrap it back around. If we say that we have not sinned, We're lying, but we tell him that he is a liar and his word is not in us. And he says, my little children, I write these things to you that so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. I'm sorry, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but for the whole world. So this is the gospel that we have the grand opportunity to share We get to invite people out into the light, not to condemn them and to expose them and to laugh at their nakedness and say, ha, look at you. You know, you you break God's law all the time. We get to invite them into the light because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. There's no condemnation anymore because what God has given us is this new life. And that's what... uh, And and that's the first thing that the church did. The very first thing that the church did was invite the people who showed up. They invited them out into the light. Look at Acts chapter 2. And look at verse 32. This Jesus, now this is, this is Peter 
explaining the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost to the people who killed Jesus. So this is his, this is his introduction of the gospel post-cross, post-resurrection to anybody who will listen. They're listening because they heard the sound of the wind and they came and they noticed the people who are full of the Holy Spirit. They said, whoa, this is crazy. What's happening? And this is his explanation to Jesus' killers, his enemies, the people he'd previously earlier in the day been hiding from. This is what he has to say. This is the end of it, not the beginning of it, but I don't want to read the whole thing. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said to them, Hide under the rocks, go to a cave, run to the mountains. God is angry with you, get even further away. It's not what he said. It's not the response Moses gave to the people, or the people had to God at Mount Sinai. It's not, now you've really made him mad, you better run. You've, you've blown your one chance. God came to save you and you killed him. I'm not sure if he's happy with you or not. You probably should run. It's not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, they say, men and brethren, what should we do? And, G- and Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That means the wiping away of your sins, the washing away of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God would call. And then because of time, they cut the text short, but Peter went on and on and on like pastors do. So, <laughs> as it says that, with many more words. He didn't stop there, he just kept going. But it says this was the, you know, this was the important stuff, and then he kept going. Um, and it says that, that 3,000 of them were received the word, were baptized that day, and were added to them. And it's that coming out into the light. It invites them to come out into the light. It says, yeah, you are who you are. And Jesus loves you enough to not leave you that way, but make you new and remake you. And you become his project again instead of your own project. And that's, that's the essence of the gospel, is leaving off trying to make yourself something to eventually present to God and letting go of that and saying, God, can I be your project? Will you make me to what I need to be? And God justifies us. And then there's this whole process we haven't talked about yet, we'll talk about next week, called sanctification, where God is building and creating in us and making us the kind of person that he has in mind for us. He's justified us. He's called us and brought us over to where he wants to be in a spiritual way. And then he is starting to move those things into our life slowly. And there's a process that takes place. But I love what First John says. It says, hey, come out into the light. Dwell in the light. Don't lie about who you are. There's no need to. You see what Jesus did? He walked away from a lady caught in adultery. I don't know what you did, but it, it can't be 
anything more than anything else that the rest of everybody has done. And Jesus isn't in the business of killing people because they sin. He's in the business of forgiving them and washing them and cleansing them from their unrighteousness. And so come out, come out into the light and, and confess your sin to him. He's not going to wipe you out. He's going to love you. And so it's a completely different kind of uh, call. And I, I'm just encouraged by that um, because in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, everything is naked and open before the God with whom we have to deal with. So he's like, I know that it's just like these curtains. You can see through them. Like, we, we were like, no, no, I'm hiding behind. If somebody was hiding behind the curtain, we'd be like, hey, how you doing there? That's the way we are with our, we're like, I'm in the darkness. I'm hiding from God. And he's like, no, you're not. You're just lying to yourself, and the truth is not in you. That you don't, you don't realize that I can see right through all the nonsense that you put up. And so um, we might as well come out anyway. And, and then God says, I'm not, here, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here that you might be saved. So let's pray. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and for, Lord, your love for us. Not, not just that you love us, Lord, but you are willing to take us in and take us under your protection. Lord, even that you would take us on as a project. Lord, I, I would have started with blank slates. Um, but Lord, you love to remodel. You love to change and you love to improve us. And I... I thank you for that character because we would be lost without it. Lord, I pray that more and more as we trust you, as we lay ourselves down and we allow ourselves into the light of the truth of who we are and, and are honest with you about where we're at, Lord, that you would uh, allow us to see your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. And Lord, you would encourage us to continue to allow you into more corners of our hearts. And that we would just walk in the light, Lord, as you are in the light. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your cross and, Lord, the, the work that you did there that has finished sin and has given us hope, Lord, that it's not that you are just waiting to judge us some later time, Lord, but that sin has already been taken care of and put out of the way. And Lord, we praise you for all of these things and for your goodness. And we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.